like a moment from a horror movie. You have been hanging out in the wrong clubs, Mr. Wayne. I've seen this movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Join the club. We've got jackets. And you stole it from a movie. We want you in our club, kid. Hey everybody, welcome to Burke Reviews Movie Club. I'm John Burke, and with me as always is Corey Starr. Hello, hello. And we are uh, doing our in-between series episode. We're mint in box this week, so this is a movie that one of us owns but have not seen before, hence it is mint in the box. Um, Corey picked uh, this episode, so we're covering Being There from 1979. Uh, it is available on Criterion, um, so that's that's the version you have, right, Corey? And it's also, though, uh, a rare thing. You can still get this digitally, which sometimes you can't uh, if it is. Yeah, if it's on the Criterion print, a lot of times you can't get it from other sources. But um, I was able to purchase this on Vudu. Uh, so it's out there in a few different different ways. Um, the movie is directed by Hal Ashby, which I didn't realize when going in. Um, did you know that when you picked it? I did. That's why I bought it. I thought that might have been the why, because uh, listeners, if you're not familiar with that name, he is the director from Harold and Maude, which is one of Corey's favorite movies. Um, okay. and an excellent movie, movie that I, I came to very, very late, but I, I also love. Um, this like, is oh, those stinking hipsters. And then you're like, <laughs> oh, it's so good. <laughs> this is not um, exactly the same. It is a comedy. Uh, and so I guess they share that in common, but it's definitely doing its own thing. It is... Um, the only thing I would say that makes this feel like uh, the Hal Ashby is that he's apparently a pretty smart director and knows how to um, layer comedy into serious subject matter almost, um, or at least uh, paint a satire in a way that's um, doesn't feel like a satire. Like there's a lot of commentary about society while feeling like these are real people with real like desires and meanings and purposes and, um, those people are played by some pretty big names. Uh, this movie, I believe, is Peter Sellers' last film, um, which is a big deal. If you're not familiar with Peter Sellers, uh, he's tremendous work. Um, he's the original Pink Panther, which a lot of people do know him for. Uh, I prefer his Kubrick performances. Into, um, oh, man, Dr. Strangelove and How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. And then um, I feel like there was another movie that I really liked him in, but now I'm not remembering what it is. Um, I'm scrolling through his filmography because I, I do like him quite a bit, um, especially in this movie, actually, but he's in a lot of stuff. Peter Sellers, big name actor. Why can't I think of the other thing that I like him in? Um, well, I'm not seeing it, so I don't know. Maybe I'm just thinking of uh, Dr. Strangelove. He has two characters in that movie, so maybe that's not what I'm thinking, but... Um, no, I swear there was something else I just watched for something. He's in so many movies. Um, yeah. But so uh, movie club, as per usual, um, one of us has to have never seen it. In this case, both of us have never seen this movie. Well, and yeah. uh, this is our in-between series. So this is just kind of like a, a palate cleanser as we get ready to move into our next series, which I will talk about at the end of this episode, what's coming up next. Um, before we dive completely into uh Oh, I guess I should read the rest of the cast. I apologize, listeners. Shirley MacLaine, Melvin Douglas, Jack Warden, who I've seen in a bunch of stuff, and I was really sh- it's it's always rare to see him for me uh, in these movies because I see I always think of him from Dirty Work, which is a Norm Macdonald film, um, and that's like my first encounter with him, so that's always what I associate. But uh, I really like him um, a lot of the times. 
uh, Richard Desart and Richard Basehart is where we'll stop. But um, before we dive completely into the movie, just real quick, I want to check in with Corey. How you doing, Corey? It's been a couple of weeks. Just busy. So busy. And I feel like you know about that. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm feeling pretty overwhelmed, busy lately. Uh, I was actually earlier, like about eight o'clock. I was like, maybe I'll just go to bed, and then I was like, oh yeah, I have to record. Um, oh, I will no. not go to bed. But I, I actually, I did last Thursday. I went to bed at eight o'clock, which I never do. But um, I was exhausted, and I was like, yeah, I'm, I think I'm just going to listen to my body. I'm going to go to sleep, and I I didn't sleep the whole night through, but I I slept, you know, like for a few hours and I woke up for like 10 minutes and went back to sleep. And I did sleep like almost, almost like 10 hours, which is a lot for me. Um, but I, I was feeling that kind of like, I could probably go to sleep right now. Maybe I will. Cause you know, sometimes you gotta like, I got so much going on. I've been trying not to do anything, like put any extra work onto myself. Uh, like I haven't watched a movie since Sunday. Dang. Um, yeah, which is weird. Uh, but it's just been like, I haven't had like a good window to like really sit and watch something. I hope that everyone, you and I and everybody, like our next season of like life, like our that soon we have like some rest and balance because I don't like being busy like I'm busy. I feel like you're most productive that way and you probably like to be busy. I I have anxiety if I'm not busy. Like, so Mm -hmm. yeah, I, uh, um, I, I like to keep, like, if I'm just sitting doing nothing, all I'm doing is thinking about all the things I probably should be doing instead. So, like, it um, it doesn't work well for me. Uh, but, yeah, you know, I, I'm still, uh, I've, I've, I've increased my workouts by, like, 20 minutes. Um, so that's that's taking up a little more time each day. And I'm really, I'm really, Every I've already day. vented. Uh, that's currently yes i'm I'm planning on trying to rest on sundays um but uh you know i don't like i don't know i don't like not working out so um if i if my body feels like i need to 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 not work out i'm not pushing myself like that but like i am trying to stay at least do something active every day because during the summer i don't leave the house that often compared to like my you know when i'm at work i'm moving around all the time during the summer i'm just often in a chair so like I want to make like I want to push myself to like go play basketball for an hour or something extra um, rather than just sitting in a chair. So um, you can see how that goes. But I've I've started like increasing my workout. But I've already vented about this on on Bloody Awesome, so I'm not going to go long on this. But uh, Planet Fitness, who is not a sponsor, um, but they are pushing uh, the summer for for high school students. So I think ages 14 to 19 get in. Uh, get free membership for the summer. And I, I hate this. Oh, yeah. Sorry. It, because there's so many people who are not there to work out. Like they're just there to hang out. You know, they're like meeting with like 10 of their friends and they're all standing around a machine. And it's just, you know, like the ones who are the, the high school kids that I've seen coming to work. out. Keep in mind, I teach high school listeners. So this is the, the kids. A lot of the kids in my community. Now I see at the gym, which I also don't really enjoy. I like my solitude and I, I don't like talking to people at the gym. So, you know, when people recognize me, it, it becomes more of a, like, I'm like, well, I'd rather not be here. Um, and again, like the ones that are there to work out, they're fine. I don't have a problem with the kids that are there to work out. It's people who are just there to be there that I'm like, please don't, don't do this. Why are we giving people free memberships? 
yeah. it's a good idea. And I wish that I would have had an opportunity like that when I was younger, like to be more active and it to not cost me anything. You know what I mean? But I don't, I can see most people. I just question the motivation of a lot of the people, but also yeah. on the other, even if they were all there to just work out, it still makes the gym even more crowded than it often already is. And I don't like that. Um, and I don't see what, I guess their hope, like, I, I don't believe a business is just being kind. No. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm assuming their hope is that it's like any other, it's like a gateway drug. Once we get them here, they'll keep paying, you know, because um, they'll want to work out because it'll, it'll be a routine. And also like, good publicity. Yeah, know? it does. Make, you know, or maybe they're hoping parents will be like, well, if you're going, I'll go ahead and sign up and I'll go to, you know, I don't know. I just don't, I don't trust businesses to just be like giving us things without some kind of caveat. So that, that has me really skeptical as well. But nevertheless, uh, that's that's what's been going on with me. And uh, of course, my daughter graduated um, high school. Which You're like is, having a big couple. This like month, month is huge. Yeah, uh, just this month. Like we got married earlier this month. And now my daughter graduated. Uh, our daughter graduated, to be fair. Um, and is she like so excited? Is she just, I hated high school. I mean, to be fair, like last year was hybrid because of, um, the pandemic. So she wasn't like at the school for most of it. And then this year she had so many like dual enrollment classes that she wasn't on campus very much. So I think maybe more, it's like the little inconveniences that the high school did cause her, like where she had, she had like one class she had to go to the high school for. So like, she doesn't do that now. So I guess those things make her feel better. Um, Cause at least all of those things are over, but she's, she's planning on starting uh, at our local community college. Um, not starting so much as finishing. Cause she's already taken several classes um, uh, this coming fall. So, you know, she's, she is, I think excited. Uh, we, we've let her um, go off with some friends uh, in a, like, like I don't, I don't like in Tampa. I guess that doesn't matter. I say, um, for like a couple of days. So it's it's a little weird because we don't. Have, she's just not here for the first time in a long time. Um, so it's like, you know, kind of wild. Uh, you know, our kid's eighteen now, and she's graduated for like four days. We're not gonna we're not gonna have a kid living in the house, and it's like, what? You know, our whole life has been kid living in the house, and now all of a sudden she's not here. Like, what's what's going on? So. It's only day one, but it, it feels like it feels weird. Like I'm not I haven't heard her walking in and out of the, her room to get a drink or whatever. So it's just it's jarring. But, um, but uh, despite being busy, I think we both found time to watch being there. Um, I knew very little about this movie, Corey. Um, I'd seen the, the poster. It's such a times. cool freaking poster. It is a very cool poster. It's also I assume it's probably the, the box art on Criterion. Um it's a movie that I had no real uh, touchstone with. And in fact, after watching, as I often do, I'll, I'll reach out to Matt and uh, Sean to see if they'd seen the movie. And a lot of times they have this one. Neither has both. Uh, I, Sean owns it, has not watched it. So he's like literally mint in box as well. Um, and uh, I don't think Matt owns it, but Matt's it's been on Matt's uh, list for a long time um, to watch and just hasn't got to it. And it's one of those things. It's like, I don't know that this would have been a movie that would have pulled me in outside of you picking it. Not because uh, of the movie itself, because I knew so little about it. Like, again, I'd seen it. 
didn't know what it was. I didn't know like the legacy behind it. I, this isn't a film that I've heard a lot of film people bring up to talk about. So I, when I went to watch this, I was kind of like not in the mood for it. I was like, I, I felt a little tired. It was like Sunday afternoon. I was trying to like fit things in so that it would, you know, schedule it. Okay. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm in the mood for this. It feels like it's, it's going to be kind of slow. Like all, all I had was the synopsis, which is, um, you know, it's, it's a pretty simple synopsis is after the death of his employer, uh, forces him out onto the only, out of the only home he's ever known. A simple minded sheltered gardener becomes an unlikely trusted advisor to a powerful tycoon and an insider in Washington politics. That's actually more of a synopsis than I remember reading. Um, but like that, I'm like, okay, this sounds like it's going to be a little, little just tedious. And then <laughs> um, really quickly, I, I'm like, I know Sellers is comedic, but like, I'm, I don't know what I'm getting into here. And the movie starts and I'm just like immediately puzzled. And in a good way where I'm like, what, wait, what is going on with this movie? What's the, what's the goal here? Um, and uh, by, by I don't know, 20, 30 minutes in, I was very hooked. And by the end, I was, I was, well, singing its praises. I was really into this movie. I thought it was really great and um, was kind of shocked at how little I'd heard about it. Um, you know, I, I obviously haven't heard about every movie, but I do kind of pride myself on it, like knowing the ones that I'm supposed to see, even if I haven't seen them yet. And for this one not to have been on my radar in that way, I was disappointed. Um, I, I'm really, really, really glad you picked this movie for this week. Uh, but what did you think about being there? Um, so sometimes I don't feel like I'm smart enough for some movies, but um, I enjoyed it. I think that it would, I feel like for me as the type of movie viewer I am, it's definitely the kind of movie I would need to, and I did do a little extra research and um, watching a video that I didn't really like the analysis on it. But anyway, mm. um, it was a little too clinical, I guess, like literally like clinical. Um, so I felt like it was a little off putting, but I, I'm not super familiar with Peter Sellers. I've seen him in a couple movies. Um, I love Shirley MacLaine. I just think that there's a lot going in, on in this movie, but I think you can enjoy it if you take it at face value with just what the movie is showing you and not necessarily diving deep into all of the little things it means. Um, but I think there's a lot here. Yeah, uh, I think it's as a performance piece alone, I think it's a very, very enjoyable film. I think Peter Sellers is uh, just such a performer. And um, there's a Criterion little short on YouTube I watched. It's like a five-minute short. It's called The Anatomy of the Gag. The Gag. I should have watched that. Um, I thought that was really compelling as he they kind of point out how um, sellers in this film, they set up what in like other like comedic slapstick type comedies would have been a gag that sellers and never gives you. So like it's almost the uh, the absence of the gag is the joke in this. Like every time you would expect him to be large or be over the top, he's you know calm and subdued and he doesn't he doesn't even necessarily say the joke and that becomes the humor in the film is the, the, this these empty spaces, which 
is extremely reflective of the character uh, Chance that Peter Sellers is playing. Um, as noted uh, in this movie, his he we meet him um, kind of going through his day. He's watching TV. He goes out to the garden. He's a gardener, um, like a live-in gardener. And we never see uh, the old man, but he's referenced. And then there, we there's a, a maid who brings um, the news that the old man is dead. And he's Chance seems really unaffected by it. Um, and he's like, so watching TV, like when he watches TV, he's watching TV. Like it is not an ADD thing where he's like bouncing around. He is like zeroed in tunnel vision. I like watching that. TV, <laughs> um, which, and he watches all sorts of stuff. That's one of my favorite things is um, everything he watches is like actual TV footage from the era, um, including some Mr. Rogers stuff, which made me yeah. excited. Um, and uh, so Early on, um, the he's still living there, even though I do question how many days had gone by um, that he'd just been sitting in the house and not being fed because he does not know how to feed himself. Like if, if his meals are not brought to him, he does not eat. And we, he's, we hear him say a few times that he is very hungry. And it makes you think, like, when was the last time you ate, dude? Was it, it was like a few days ago? Um, but the lawyers show up to, like, get ready to sell the house. They find Chance there. Basically, you know, tell him you're you gotta leave because you have no claim to this property, and uh, he does. He walk wanders out into Washington D.C., which is, uh, I think, before we get into spoilers, I think that's the last area we'll talk. But um, I loved uh, you get the music from two thousand one A Space Odyssey, but this jazz rendition. I've heard the name of the artist who did it, but I do not know the name of the artist who did it. So apologies there, but it was a really, um, it's such a cool version of the song and it's so compelling of a juxtaposition from if you, especially if you know the song from 2001, like if you're familiar with that movie and then seeing Peter Sellers walking, uh, with dressed very, very nicely because he's wearing the old man's like old clothes, um, in Washington, DC in 1979, which is apparently, um, I, I've heard things, but know very little about what it was like to live there. But I, I'd heard it was a rough area for a while. And um, I think it still might be considered a rough area. But it's uh, there's there's a lot of commentary about race built into this film. And it's established right in the sequence. Um, there's uh, something on the there's graffiti on the wall uh, that is very uh, intentionally charged that America's. Um, uh, America's suffering because the white man's in charge or something along those lines. I'm paraphrasing the, the graffiti, which is not the best thing to do, but uh, like right away that's there. And um, the scene he runs into a, a, what I guess is supposed to be a gang, but it's young black males. One of them pulls a switchblade on him because they think he's from another rival gang, like delivering a message. And he tells him to give a message and he tries to change the channel. So switchblades pull it on him. He pulls out the remote control because either he's lost interest or maybe it's too scary. Not really sure. Very blank <laughs> face. Uh, the part of the character of Chance throughout the film is that stoic face, um, which is vital to a lot of the analysis stuff that we're going to talk about here momentarily. Um, but I was right, right there. I'm just, I'm so, I'm so pulled in. I'm so compelled by what is happening uh, and no clue what this movie is. Like I have no no insight to what I'm getting into in this these moments. But I'm well, I'm on board for the ride. 
It's like everything that we get for so long in the movie, I feel like, makes us have more questions than, you know what I mean? That they don't give us any answers. They just leave us, like, questioning more, I guess. Yeah. And I felt that was very interesting. Like, I feel like there's more to him than just being the gardener, but we can talk about that in spoilers, I guess. Yeah. Now, before we get into uh <clears throat> that i want to read one thing so jim cummings we've uh there's a, there's unfortunately that's a very famous name because jim cummings is also a voice actor but i am talking about the director uh and writer jim cummings and actor to be fair he's starred in his movies um the wolf of snow hollow thunder road um he is the director of both of those films and i think there's one more film he directed yes uh what was it called the beta test which i saw last year at some festival oh yeah um, i remember okay i i am a fan of all three of those movies i like jim cummings a lot and by coincidence um i follow him on letterbox and uh he also i only have two people i follow that have written reviews on letterbox for being there um and he was one of them and i didn't actually pay attention to whose it was i just like clicked on it i was looking at the reviews he gave it a five star and I'm reading this and I'm again, do not know who this is when I'm reading it. So this, this was a jarring opening sentence to me. It starts like this. So I watched this for the first time a month ago. I had dinner with Michael Shannon and he Whoa. called himself. Yeah. I'm like, wait, what, who, what is this? Um, he, and he called himself Chauncey Gardner. He said, I'm a fraud. I don't know what I'm doing. And I fooled everyone. That's what Michael Shannon said to Jim Cummings at dinner. Um, now, People in Letterboxd have told me to watch this film for years, and I didn't foolishly. I watched the first 30 minutes after dinner with Michael Shannon and thought, this is not a good movie. People are wrong about this. Then I finished the film and realized its brilliance and its and its simplicity. I watched it again the following night and cried as hard as I possibly could through the whole movie. I kept saying, this poor guy, he doesn't know any better. I don't think I've cried that hard in a long time. Now I find myself saying yes, and I understand all the time, thinking of him, missing Peter. Um, I want to crawl inside of this film and just stay there, blah, blah, blah. So. Um, I thought that was an interesting kind of into uh, being there and I uh, from Jim Cummings again because I started reading that not realizing that it was Jim Cummings the actor slash director who would have can, just had dinner with Michael Shannon can you like tweet at him and ask him if we can have dinner with Michael Shannon I mean casually? I don't know if he books Michael Shannon's dinners I, I feel like we can have dinner with him and he can invite Michael Shannon I, I actually have interacted with, with Jim Cummings so it's not impossible for him to respond to me at something um, I don't know that again he can hook us up with Michael Shannon, but I can I can see what I can do. I feel like you um, should try. I mean, I guess I should try. Uh, <laughs> so being there, um, I, I I actually thirty minutes in was very hooked into this movie, um, but again, still had no clue what I was getting into. I do yeah. find it interesting that he went for like an emotional reaction because I I am looking at this not in a sad way. I don't feel I bad was... for Chance. I was very sad for him. Um, can I ask why? Yeah, because like I feel like it's he tells us he's never left the house. He's never obviously ridden in an automobile, but he takes the time to tell us that he his only interactions like his whole life and he's probably edging near 60, I would guess. Um 
you know, all of his interactions his whole life have been with the old man and Louise, the housekeeper. Like, he can't even make his own food. It's like, I feel like he doesn't quite, he can't quite handle taking care, I don't even want to say taking care of himself, but like, taking care of his basic needs. You know, and I think that it's so interesting that he doesn't even know that he's, I'm not, I don't mean that he personally is well off. I know it's not his wealth, but I mean, he's pretty well off to not have any wealth. You know what I mean? Like, he lives in a nice home. He has his own room. He has multiple TVs, we're told. Like, At a time when that was a very, I would say, not the norm to have that many TVs around. and it's like, I know that he watches TV and that's how he's formed his whole opinion of the world. But does he even know there's a whole world outside? Because it's just so even stark when he walks out of the house the first time. And we have been in this very wealthy home up until this point. And then we walk outside and there's garbage everywhere and graffiti and it's just such a stark contrast to what he's been living his whole life. Now, so I I am aware of all of that. The thing I find interesting is that the the assumption that I think both you and Jim Cummings made is that that's something that he is missing, I guess, um, because he is taken care of and he doesn't seem to be aware that he's missing on anything. Like, it's not he's, like good. I, I'm looking at it from my, with my own eyeballs because oh, I yeah. can see that. I know that, I mean, he's not even sad when the old man dies. Like, right. And that's, you know, where I never felt sadness for the character because I didn't read it as something that I should feel bad about because of the way he reacts to things like this, even like, I don't feel like chance is being played as a character that has a mental disorder, but his ignorance is so vast that it can't simply be because he's only watched TV because like, I don't know if you've ever watched Mr. Rogers, but I feel like you could learn a whole lot from just watching Mr. Rogers. Like if he only watched Mr. Rogers he would have a better grip on reality than what he does, than what but chance is portrayed. Even give himself breakfast. He That's just sits thing. in front of the TV and is like, "Oh, Louise, I'm hungry." You know, like I I know that my perception of it is different than his own perception of it. Sure, uh, this uh, please don't feel like I'm critic. I'm actually. Oh no, I don't. I'm. I'm don't. alluding to what I think I. I feel like I caught on to what the character was a little earlier, even if I wasn't fully aware and why I didn't project that emotion. Like I never, I was curious. Like I, I'm sitting going, what is this guy's deal? Is there going, like, cause I wasn't sure if the movie was going to explore that. And it really doesn't like, we don't know, like the movie's not interested in the relationship with him and the old man. Like how did he end up there? Like other characters are interested in that. They ask the question to themselves but there's never a search. There's no answers given to that because that's not what the movie's doing. That's why I don't feel like that's a spoiler. Cause it's not, it's not this like M night Shyamalan twist that we're going to get. 
it's literally not interested in that. That's not the point the film is making. I'm again. What? I project my own feelings. Everybody does, and that's what the movie's actually making. Um, and that's why I think it's kind of great. I can't um, help but bring my own experiences and how I would feel in that situation. No, sure. To it, like I, I, I don't. So I, I think I watched this movie with a filmmaker's eye when I'm watching it. I'm, I am. I never watch movies that way. I I'm, I would say more often I'm watching movies that way where I'm looking at the seams and I'm like trying to figure like, especially after watching men last week. Oh God. Um, I watched it last week too. I did you like men? The movie to clarify. Um, um no. so no is the answer. And that is no, the I answer. don't want to say no, that I didn't enjoy it. I just think that there was a lot in it that, I like I think I have ideas about what things were or so, you know I don't all, I didn't not like it. All of that movie to me is is a series of trying to figure out why certain things are there and that made it really really fun for me afterwards because I was sitting going well if this is there there's a reason Alex Garland included this 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 was put there there's significance to it. So what is that significance in me trying to figure that out? And I think maybe that mindset was fresh in my, my processing. So watching this, I was quickly like, well, what, why is this? Why did we learn this detail? What is, what are we supposed to take away from this? And the ending of this film only leads to it. So I think now we should stop and let's get into spoilers. Guys, from here on out, we are going to talk about this movie in great detail. You have been warned. So I um I want to jump to the ending so we can then use no. what the different interpretations are of the ending um as a framing for a lot of what happens in the movie. Um so the ending he's walking away from the funeral Mr. Rand has died which there's a lot of imagery I haven't even got to explore yet but there is some very heavy illuminati imagery there's a, a pyramid with an eyeball on it as his resting place. Uh, um the, it's like Something a mausoleum um and then his last name being rand uh feels like, Anne. like Anne rand or ayn rand um yeah, whatever it is yeah it, i feel like that's significant uh i have not dove into either of those two things enough to figure out what well, that might int- entail i feel i have not read any rand but i have heard about her books and stuff and i mean he's wealthy and thinks that people should be self-made and i you know well, and self-made is such a fabrication. Um, I just... No, I know, but I mean, the, the concept of it is. Uh, but so at the end of the movie, he's walking away from the funeral. Like the president's giving the eulogy. Um, he's quoting Rand, which is a weird thing to do at someone's funeral. I feel like to like quote their themselves, like not themselves. Like he's not quoting the president's not quoting the president. He, the president is quoting Rand, but. It's like at Rand's funeral. Yeah, like remember this guy, he said these things. It's like, well, yeah, we're at his funeral. Like, why would you quote? I don't know. Maybe I, I haven't been to a lot of funerals. Um, and it's, I've definitely many. been to, I've been to no funerals of like people who wrote books or anything where they, they you could easily quote Prominent them. Like, years. um, yeah, but nevertheless, um, Chance gets up or Chauncey because everyone's calling him Chauncey Gardner, even though he, you know, he's Chance the Gardener, but um, I love that. I do too. 
but he's walking away and he's just like he's walking around walking around gets to a pond or a lake I, i'd say pond it's a, it's not it doesn't seem big enough to be a lake um and he decides to walk across the water and he's walking on the water and at that moment i was my jaw kind of dropped I'm like wait hold up what's happening and then I remembered hearing about that scene, but not like putting what movie it was. So I actually had heard about this film and it just didn't like stick. And I think it's partly because the name is purposefully forgettable. Like being there is like, yeah, okay. Sure. Everybody's just there. Like that's, that's everybody. But um, there are three main interpretations of this. Have you read about this? Um, Kind of. So the first one is that he is a Christ figure, right? Um, and he's able to walk on water and, um, so maybe he didn't need to eat. What, what is it? I said, so maybe he didn't need to eat. Ah, well, the next one, uh, is the, the one that Ebert has now been quoted. I sent you an article from Ebert's review from, uh, the review itself is not from when the movie first came out. It was like a, um, came out this review is from 97. Uh, Roger Ebert, it's on his website. Um, he gives it four stars, which is his highest rating. Um, but he uh, he mentions that he had taught this in, when he taught film school. And um, people would try to say that he's not walking on water. There is just like a pier in the water that we can't see. And so that's another theory is that he isn't actually walking on water. He's just fooling us like he has fooled everyone else in the movie. Well, um, hold on. That his students said that? N- Ebert students argued that that's what was happening when he like showed the scene. Like they're like, well, we think this and Ebert says that's, you can't do that because it's not. Take what uh, you're being shown. shown. Yeah. You can't add something in that you're not seeing uh, to the film. Cause now you're just, you're, you're trying to solve something that's not available for you to solve. You don't have any evidence outside of your wanting to rationalize something you're seeing, but the movie isn't showing you that there's a peer there. If, if, if uh, Hal Ashby wanted you to see that, he would have shown like an overhead shot where we could see the pier in the water or something. We don't get that. So Ebert dismisses that, but that is still a popular theory among people who've seen this movie is that it, there is something there. Maybe it's not a pier, but there's something there like a sandbar or something that he is actually walking on, but it's another illusion. Like so much of everything else that the film has represented. That part feels accurate, whether or not you're there. The third part, I I actually came to the the conclusion right when I read that this was another thing, but it's the Roadrunner comparison. Um, if when I say Roadrunner, I do mean the the Looney Tunes cartoon. Maybe if he doesn't know, he can't do it. He can. Um, thus, like when Wiley e. Coyote paints a tunnel on a rock, and the Roadrunner runs through it, he's able to do that because he doesn't know. He shouldn't be able to do that when he runs off the cliff and Wiley follows and Wiley looks down and realizes there's no ground. Wiley falls roadrunner completely fine, right? Because he doesn't know he can't do it. And that one, I have so much interest in exploring, but I also have the Christ-like thing because that there's a whole bunch of stuff you have to, if you start thinking that this character is either a Jesus figure or like a Christ representative, you have to really reevaluate the whole movie because it takes on a whole different turn. But I think the 
he doesn't know he can't, so he can, is what the movie's mostly doing. Um, now, I still think there's commentary on that, on like philosophers and on religious figures. But ultimately, let's look at what you did and what Jim Cummings also did is you saw this man and his situation, and it was sad. Which makes sense because, again, I... we live in a culture, though, where we pride ourselves on our independence. We pride ourselves on our ability to take care of ourselves. And if somebody can't, we feel bad for them because we don't they don't have that thing that in America, especially we cherish. It is a vital part of our identity as a culture. So please, again, it is not a criticism to you doing that. I no, think I, I, just... I... Go ahead. I just feel like everyone should know that I'm a Pisces. Can you see <laughs> what uh, Jim Cummings <laughs> sign is? Maybe he's a Pisces too. I'm just, I'm kind of kidding. Okay. Um, I'm sure we can find it on his birthday. But um, with that, think of every character interaction. They see him and he never gives them any insight. He doesn't even give a lot of reactions, right? Like he barely Sorry. smiles. He's very stoic. Um they say something he says i understand or yes or i have I, no claim or he just think, repeats what they say i think it's so funny because uh, just like i projected onto him but i people are assigning so much to him mm -hmm. and it makes him seem like he could be a fraud like he wears the old man's clothes and the old man is wealthy. And so everyone thinks that, you know, he's wealthy and he wears this fancy hat and the way that he, he's like, he's, he doesn't feel any, um, like when he talks to people, even the president, like, doesn't he address him by his first name only? He does. Yeah. And like they're old chums, like, he knows it's the president. He says he's seen him on TV, but it's like he doesn't understand that there's a power dynamic. Yes. Like, it's just, it's all just so very interesting because he tells us that he's Chance the Gardener. He never is trying to portray himself as anything that he is not, mm -hmm. but everyone that he comes in contact with thinks that he is something other than himself because he looks rich he's he's wearing fancy clothes that are older but nevertheless they're like you know these are tailored clothes these are like the best underwear you could ever have um and everyone's intrigued by him because that no one knows him so he is a mystery box uh jj abrams iconic phrasing of you give somebody a mystery box and that mystery propels the story and it's not only are we wondering about him, everyone in the movie is wondering about him. And there's this thing when you feel like you have the answers, when you feel like, you know, and you are talking to someone who is essentially reassuring you or isn't giving you anything, right? Like he's not really giving you an argument. He's just saying things and you start trying to make it fit your narrative. He says, it's like the spring, there's plants, and then in the summer, and then it's the fall and as winter. As long as you don't cut the roots. Yeah, but he's not talking about anything. He's not being allegorical or metaphorical, but they start looking at what he's saying and trying to make sense of what he's saying, as though he is bestowing upon them some great wisdom that they then fit into their own I, perspective. 
And I mean, maybe that's a problem with us is we overcomplicate things and these, you know, his garden does, you know, have things in common with the economy and it has cycles and stuff like that. So maybe we overcomplicate things, but he never purposely portrays himself as something that he is not. And that just like over and over and over and over again in the movie, like it just starts right away and he just locks into moving into another wealthy home and Shirley MacLaine is her name Eve I can't remember I uh, it is Eve yeah okay she like is falling for him and apparently her husband's okay with it because he's on his deathbed and he just wants her to be happy well but also because and- he likes Chance like he, yes. he's immediately stricken by Chauncey um he thinks he's something special I I just I it just it, it never like I never didn't notice when he he's just being himself just giving his answers and other people are you know which is where Hal Ashby I think is is his there's a few sequences in this movie that really establish something significant there when he first leaves the house and I mentioned earlier, the graffiti quote. Um, and then uh, there's a scene where he's on TV. He's doing the interview because the vice president wasn't available. So of course you get Chauncey. Um, and we cut to the maid, uh, Luis, who's sitting with a bunch of friends. And she's like, I knew that boy. I raised him. He's an idiot. There's nothing between the, those ears, you know? And yet here he is friends with the president now he's on tv they're seeking him for advice on finances she knows the truth they both lost their their residency you know she was living she wasn't living there but she was she had a steady job and he was living there both now are out she's you know not not we don't not, we don't really see much of her situation but we know she had to start over we know she's not advising the president. She's not living with, you know, Mr. Rand, you know, she's not being seduced by a rich, you know, heiress kind of thing, but he is. And like you said, he's done nothing. He's not malicious. Uh, even it. he didn't fake the accident, right? Like he doesn't like oh. pretend to get hit by the cars. Like he's just standing in the road watching TV and he gets backed into is that chance. Of course, listeners, if you're paying attention, his name's chance for a reason um it's you know odds it's fate what are the odds what are the chances that these things would keep happening for him well they just keep happening for him a white man who looks wealthy who looks well to do and that commentary is only enforced by all those those scenes that i just referenced with luis pointing it out the sign on the wall um even the the successful the the success yeah the lawyer too but the successful uh, black characters there's a black doctor that he encounters and um his, his he doesn't understand things he says to him like hey are you do you know i forgot the the name of the 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 other gang member that oh yeah but he asked the doctor do you know him because i have a message for him and um even like the first time i don't know if you noticed this but when he's walking around the street he asks a black woman if she can give him food because he's, you know, yes. he's used to Louise giving him food. So he's like, I guess you're a black woman. You also can give me food. Right. Like, and it's like, Oh no. Um, 
So there's a lot of like very subtle <laughs> racial commentary, especially because of DC at the time that all of this is happening. We see what the streets of DC look like for the non-wealthy and more importantly, the non-white wealthy people living there or to be and, like, correct. And like how shot off the wealthy yeah. white people are. Like, yes. I it just really wasn't expecting. It was very, it was just such a contrast and kind of like, oh, when he walked outside and there's trash and stuff everywhere. Because I don't know why I was expecting them to live in like a single, you know, family home, like out on some land. You know what I mean? Like, it looks like it's actually attached to something else. But just like, it's just so much different than what it's like on the inside. Yeah, and the idea that like they're they're looking to maybe make him the next presidential candidate, like because people like him so much and they feel like they can control no him. him though. Well, exactly, and there's nothing there's nothing on him to know. That's the thing; he literally does not exist. Um, so, I mean, Which, I, I go ahead. I know that it's not like the movie, but I I I would be interested, like. You know, it, I feel like the old man was probably his father and he raised him and that's why there's no, you know probably what I mean? An illegitimate, like, he's the bastard son kind of thing, yeah. Which. Possibly. Then he would have had the rights to that home and everything. And I just, like, he doesn't have a problem leaving the home. I mean, but it's also possible on another note, though, that maybe uh, he was a kid standing somewhere watching TV. An old man came across him, thought he was interesting, said something. The kid said, I understand. And he projected. It was like, this is this person's going somewhere. Um, you know, I don't know. But he does like gardening. He does seem to be a legitimately knowledgeable gardener. Or at least he's good at making the plants Roses. thrive. And so that part is also interesting. And I think maybe you could take that Christ element that he's like good with nature as maybe he is more supernatural than i think i'm taking it at this point but um nevertheless i think there's a lot here and it's one of the things i love about this movie is that there's a lot of different ways you can interpret things um i like that it makes you ponder i also like that it's engaging the entire time even if you don't want to do it like you said you don't have to dive into it i think it's still a really watchable and funny movie going into those things though is what makes it a masterpiece in my opinion it's like there is so much you can read into and and put out and i think if you look at some political figures uh that have happened where they say things that it sounds like they're saying stuff it sounds like they might be saying important things and then if you really look look like, at what, what they're saying they're not saying anything and that was for me immediately with him is like he's just agreeing he's just saying phrases or words but he has no actual thoughts to any of these it does feel like some of the political candidates that they say exactly what they need to say so that their voter base will think they're smart or think they're the right person for the job. But in reality, we're projecting our own wants and needs onto these blank slate politicians and they're not giving us anything that we want. They're only there for their own agenda. Or like I think this movie alludes to, there are actual puppet masters pulling the strings of these people the president starts that way. I think that's the implication that like the president maybe has gone too far on his own. And now this group, this, that appears to be the Illuminati um, 
based on that imagery and them putting Rand in the, in the thing and then debating on who should be the next president, um, that they are actually the ones pulling the strings. They just need someone that they can put in that position so that they can do that um, from, from the shadows, you know, cause then once, if everybody hates the figurehead, not you, you can keep doing what you want while the figurehead is replaced, you know? So Chauncey might be the next figurehead for them. And uh, I think that, trying really hard to make sense of the the impotent subplot of the president that they they keep cutting him and the the first lady and him not being able to have sex with her um it's i think three times they cut to that in the movie yeah uh maybe that's a sign that he's no longer the powerful man he once was that he Mm. used to be a potent tool for the illuminati but his tool is no longer working and so they're looking to replace him with someone else like chauncey that's the only thing I can make sense of that sex plot because otherwise it, it it doesn't pay off. It has no real like it never we never come back to it. It's never revealed why he's having it. Um, it's questioned a few times, but if it's he's no longer the strong leader he once was, and we need someone else to step in. Interesting. But one thing I I want to allude to because uh, the the thing about the movie that you mentioned uh, again too, why you even felt sad for him is that he lived his whole life sheltered and only knew the world through television. Maybe. And I, well, I want to, I mean, that's what we're told. Um, there's a movie as in fact, more importantly, there's a documentary from 2015 that I've seen several times because I've taught it um, called the wolf pack. And the wolf pack is about six brothers um, that director crystal Moselle. Uh, <gasps> that was so amazing ran into on uh, the streets of New York and for most of their life until she ran into them on the streets for the most part, they had lived inside a New York apartment and not been allowed to leave and only really knew the world through cinema, through movies that their dad would bring home for them. Um, So that parallel for me hit real quick. I was like, Oh my God, this is like a fictional version of the Wolfpack. It's obviously much more exaggerated, but um it, it was that that alone was there. So, listener, if you haven't seen the Wolfpack and you liked that element of it, I really think you should check out the Wolfpack because it's not. Again, I think this is a great example. They are far more intelligent than Chance has ever presented in the movie being there. But they, to be fair, they were also taught stuff. They were not exclusively watching TV. Like they they did have like a homeschooling. Their mom was a teacher before, so like there is there is a level of education happening. For sure, in the wolf pack that you don't that from what we're told of chance, right? Yeah, chance cannot read, cannot write. Um, so yeah, there there's more there. But again, even to me, like even watching TV, you'd at least have some. I don't know. You think he would have been compelled to try to read? There's probably commentary on on America in that too. That like we don't want to read anymore. We're only interested in like TV and movies, and we're not trying to to expand and. I don't know. Some of that, some of considering it's from 1979, some of that lands real hard right now. Um, and that's always wild to me when a movie is able to stay so timeless when it's clearly of the time. Like it is very much comment, commenting on the world that's happening in 1979. And well, yet it, it also seems very, very pertinent right now. So that's really sad because nothing's changing. Yeah, that's super sad. It's or, or that it's only gotten worse that this was like God. a precursor and like, you know, it, like well because i mean think 79 tv's a thing uh home video is just becoming a thing like vcrs are starting to become a common thing but they're still not in every household 
um, which is significant because that that's when you start seeing TV networks stop. Like, cause that for the first 30 or 40 years of TV, TV went off. Like it, it stopped at some point. And now eighties, you're starting to see the TV go later and later. And eventually what it is now where every channel's on all the time. Um, it never ends if you don't want it to. And more with our phones in the last, you know, 10 years, entertainment never has to stop. You can literally always have it anywhere you are. And so, yeah, I think the, if there is commentary on our reliance on television, it's only become a more abundant reliance now. So the, a lot of what the movie's saying, I think we could apply to today and it's, yeah, it's not getting better. Um, if his point of that movie was to like, say, Hey, be aware of this. So we don't let this happen. It is flipping happening. Uh, it's happened a lot. Um, but with that in mind, uh, is there anything else you want to say before we wrap up? I'm glad we watched it. Me too. I, I love this movie. This is a film I think I will go back to. Um, I'm kind of mad that I didn't just get the Criterion now because I actually really like this. I'm like, man, I wonder what other cool stuff is on the Criterion disc. Um, I do. I think you should go back and watch that uh, the Anatomy of a Gag. And if you didn't read the Roger Ebert uh, review, I definitely Oh, I did read it. Oh, okay. Um, and listener, if you haven't, I, I, I do recommend that you check that out. I really, really like that review. Um, I, I often... I. Uh, no shock here, folks, but Roger Ebert, real good film critic, everybody. Um, That's what he's it talking about. Was, yeah, uh, I don't always agree yeah. with him, but even when I don't agree with him, he's able to articulate his perspective always very, very well. Um, I've been meaning to, I haven't done this, but uh, the old Siskel and Ebert like show, there a lot of the videos are on YouTube and stuff, and I really want to like go through and watch a bunch of those. Because um, I've heard not only are they supposed to be kind of funny because like they'll argue over stuff that you don't expect them to argue over. And also like, sometimes they'll go to bat for movies that like historically are not considered good, but like they will like adamantly stand for them, which I think is important for us to remember. Like we get so hung up with our own takes on things that we forget sometimes that there are for every movie that you will fight and say is like brilliant. There's one that you love that is notoriously stupid or vice versa. And we should just let those be, um, you know, like I, I've, I've everything had doesn't a, have to be an absolute work of art or, or again, it doesn't have to be a consensus, right? Like if, if it worked for you, if you watched it and were moved by it, personal taste, then you should be proud of that. Like it love that, that it exists for you because that's the thing, right? Like every movie doesn't have to work for everybody, but I do think that every movie has someone where it will click for them. And again, how it clicks for them might be completely different, you know, but it will, you will enjoy it. Maybe like the room. I don't know if anyone's ever watched the room and thought this is a masterpiece of drama, but I know a lot of people watch the room and have a great time watching it. It's it's a laughable, enjoyable experience. And that again, maybe that wasn't, that's debated whether it was Tommy Wiseau's intent or not, but Hey, you know, if it works for you, and you're having a good time watching it, you shouldn't feel bad. We shouldn't make people feel bad when they like something we think is bad or whatever, but we sure do. Yeah, I feel like sometimes people just like to tear people down. Oh, yeah, without question. It's a, it's a shame. Um, even a quick last second curveball. I watched Downton Abbey, uh, both movies this weekend. Oh. Yeah, they're flipping enjoyable. I never would have thought. I know quite popular but i never thought i would like them i yeah, I, it I was sh- sure i was For gonna shook. be bored 
<laughs> yeah, I was I was the Snapchat filter that's taking the nation. Um, We're trying to be hip over here, guys. <laughs> I the second one I think I like a lot more because it is about oh. filmmaking also. Um, so there's they're making a movie in it and it has like a singing in the rain type oh. subplot. Yeah. Um, so I was I was very into that. Um, still so so surprised that I like both of them. It's it's undeniable in my opinion though. Those like yeah no I get it. Um, sometimes it's it's that thing. That's my I I had zero interest in watching them, and then by the end of the first one I was like there's a moment in the first movie where a, a servant speaks to the king because the king is visiting uh, Downton Abbey, and he's not supposed to speak to the king. And he spoke to the king. And when he started talking to the king, I gasped. I was like, oh, what are you doing? And I'm like, why do I care? Why do I care about this? I shouldn't even know that he shouldn't do that. And yet here I am totally upset. And I'm like, this that's when you know the movie's crafted well. When you're like, you're, you're sucked into something that you don't even know why. You're just like in it and you care. It's like, wow, good job, movie. You have done exactly what you set out to do. But I digress. That is our review of being there. The 1979 Hal Aspie film. Uh, both Corey and I, I think, are saying must see. Corey's muted. <laughs> oh, Jesus! I don't even know how I did that. I think my computer is possessed. But yes. Um, I, I understand, go. Corey said. Uh, so, um, <laughs> I like to watch. We're going to be jumping into <laughs> our new series next week. Uh, we're doing a, a series called Movie Brats. If you are a film historian, you probably know who the, film, the movie brats refer to. If not, let me inform you, listener. Um, the movie brats and refer Corey. to uh, and Corey, a group of directors who are, are kind of like the first film school directors um, to come out of that era. Uh, and they are some big names. Francis Ford Coppola, George Lucas, Brian De Palma, John Milius, Martin Scorsese, and one of my favorite directors, Steven Spielberg himself. Now, I have seen most of spielberg's films there's a couple on my gap list uh that i don't really want to watch i've seen all of the major films uh the ones i haven't seen of his are for some reasons and like always is supposed to be really bad um i i i have it so i'm gonna watch it i've still never seen armistad which i've also heard is not great um i i will not watch warhorse i just i can't can't do it um and then I think there's, I, I probably will watch War Horse because I'm a completionist and it'll bother me if I don't. But, uh, and there's like two other 80s Spielberg films that I haven't seen. But um, I'm focusing on the directors that I I I know I have major gaps in. Uh, Brian De Palma, I have hardly seen any of his films. Um, I, I've seen Mission Impossible for sure. I think that might be it. Um, and then uh, for Coppola, I've seen his biggest films, but there's one in particular that I've been meaning to get to, but we're going to start next week and we're going to be reviewing the De Palma film. Um, I'm going to say it wrong. If I don't look at it, Blowout, because there's another film from 1966 called blow up that I'm also supposed to watch. And I keep mixing those two titles. So blowout is 1981 Brian De Palma film with John Travolta, Nancy Allen, who was just doing great stuff in the early eighties, John Lithgow, um, who I always like to see, uh, cause he's often a very interesting villain. Um, this movie is available to watch on Amazon Prime with subscription, um, and that is most likely where we'll be watching it. It has a 4.0 on Letterboxd, which is a pretty high rating. Um, I am super uh, pumped to finally... Oh, I always forget De Palma did... I've seen more De Palma movies. I'm giving myself credit. He's Carrie and Scarface I've seen. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. 
which yeah those are two huge movies that i always forget it's the palma but um and then the first mission impossible he starts the mission impossible franchise um he's man there's a lot of movies of his that i have to see um i really want to watch I, i've seen parts of the untouchables but i've never watched the whole thing um and then uh blowout is the big one that I'm, we're obviously about to watch and then uh body double is one that i've always heard is supposed to be really really good um that has like a rear window kind of vibe to it but like a, a what if rear window was rated r kind of thing um so we're starting there we're gonna start with blowout and uh, we'll let you know what we're watching for the rest of the month. Uh, but Corey will be picking two, and I have another movie picked out already. Um, in the meantime, uh, you can follow us on social media if you like what we're doing here at Movie Club. Uh, I'm at Burke Reviews and Corey. If you like pictures of cats and plants, I'm at Corey Airstar. Two hours on the end. And uh, if you like what we're doing here at Movie Club <laughs> Podcast, we ask that you take just a moment and give us that five-star rating on the podcast catcher that you use. For me because it helps other people find the show and um that's it for our review of being there we'll be back next week with our review of blowout um until next time keep watching movies hey this is matt from what i watched tonight come join me in the back row for movie discussion retrospective episodes with guests director focus shows end of year rankings start of the year predictions and much much more There's more going on in the back row than you might think. This has been a Burke Reviews podcast. BurkeReviews.com.